At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. When I say the name Pittsburgh Steelers, in terms of other NFL franchises, do you instantly also think of the Atlanta Falcons, the Washington Commanders, or Carolina Panthers? How about other constantly rebuilding, formerly elite NFL organizations like the Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, or Chicago Bears? Well, you should. That's what Bet Rivers is telling you. Tim Benz here on the Bet Rivers Pittsburgh CityCast. Download the app today or go to betrivers.com because the Steelers right now Plus 5,000 to win the Super Bowl next year, along with the Falcons, the Commanders, the Raiders and Panthers, also the Miami Dolphins going through all the off-season strife that they are, just barely in front of the likes of the Giants and Bears at plus 6,600. That's where the Steelers are perceived right now, coming out of 2021 and going into 2022. And I'll tell you this much. I don't blame anybody who puts them there. In fact, I'd suggest plus 5,000 might be a little bit narrow, might be a little bit generous in terms of the opinion of the Steelers' chances to win a Super Bowl next year. And one big reason why is we don't know what's happening at quarterback with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're sort of back in pre-Ben Roethlisberger mode where There are some answers, there is some stability, there are some good players to point at, but once you get to the big looming question of quarterback, it's a giant shoulder shrug and I don't know. If the Steelers are to take part in the 2022 offseason quarterback carousel, there needs to be a few ponies on the ride when the ride starts spinning. And some big name horses may have been removed before the calliope music even begins to play. Based on reports over Super Bowl weekend, Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr could stay with their current organizations despite extended speculation during the previous season that both may be leaving for other teams. Both quarterbacks had been mentioned as potential targets for the Steelers this offseason as they look to replace Ben Roethlisberger, who's going into retirement. However, according to an NFL.com post from Ian Rappaport on Sunday, he spent a week, quote, talking with those in the know on Aaron Rodgers' looming decision, and he came to the conclusion that, in his words, two things are clear. The relationship is in as good of a spot as it's been in quite a long time, leading to optimism and hope from many involved that he will choose to return. And secondly, 
No one knows for sure what Rodgers will do except Rodgers, but no one's going to rush him to do it. On Thursday, Rodgers claimed that he's had good conversations with Green Bay, that he's going to do some contemplating and make a decision fairly quickly. As for Carr, Rappaport had a separate post on Sunday stating, Sources claim that the Raiders are moving forward with Carr at quarterback and are prepared to discuss a contract extension that would keep him in Las Vegas for the foreseeable future. Carr has one year left in his contract, making nearly $20 million. Now, Carr made sense for the Steelers because of his relative age, 30, his contractual status, and the fact that the Raiders have just recently changed their head coach and general manager. Given all that, it appeared that the Steelers may have been able to trade for a former Pro Bowl quarterback who wouldn't demand a boatload of draft compensation in return since he's on an expiring contract, not to mention a cap hit, which would have been less than what they absorbed for Ben Roethlisberger last year. All this for a guy who finished fifth in the NFL in passing yards. Carr's ability to throw on the move and in and out of the pocket and run boot action may have been a good fit for Matt Canada's offense. As for Rodgers, he made sense because Well, he's the MVP for a fourth time. Meanwhile, the Steelers Hall of Fame quarterback is retiring, so it would have been worth at least an inquiry to the Packers to see what Rodgers would have cost in return and to Rodgers' agent to see what kind of contract could have been worked out so as to entice him to Pittsburgh for the last few years of his career. If those two end up staying put, I don't see any other established veteran starter making sense as a target for the Steelers, and as a result, I don't see why you would see them as anything but a plus 5,000 long shot to win the NFL championship. You know, Russell Wilson, I guess, is still in the mix. He's been mentioned. He's been brought up in connection with Pittsburgh. Remember that report from Mike Sando of The Athletic back in, I believe it was late December, where he said that Wilson just wants a bigger market. Well, Pittsburgh ain't that. Plus, Wilson's coming off of that finger injury that kept him out of the Steelers game at Heinz Field earlier this year. He posted four-year lows in passer rating and adjusted QBR, touchdowns, yards, completion percentage. Then there is what Wilson would cost an acquiring team. His cap hit for the 2022 season in Seattle, anyway, is currently $37 million. He has a $19 million base salary with $13 million in a signing bonus and a $5 million roster bonus. And Wilson, who has no trade clause, is also claiming that he's thinking only about playing with Seattle as well. That might just be saying the right thing right now and kind of calming the waters until trade season kicks in. But he's not exactly banging the door down and making it look like he wants out like Kyler Murray is. Meanwhile, with Trey Lance looming over his shoulder in San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo has been floated as a potential acquisition for the Steelers. He's, of course, had many injury issues and a current cap hit of almost $27 million with $24 million in salary. Garoppolo might be a nice fit in Canada's scheme, although if I might steal a line from Mike Tomlin he loves to use, I think he has a high floor, but I don't think the ceiling is high enough. Now, as for Wilson, he just doesn't seem attainable at this point. Not to mention that he's not exactly coming off the same kind of season that Rodgers was. So, for those dubious of the Steelers' chances to succeed, and I'll stop to raise my hand here, with just Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins as candidates to be the team's starter in 22, the franchise is left with two other options. Draft a starter-worthy quarterback in April, or sign a free agent candidate such as 
Mitch Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, Jacoby Brissett, or even Jameis Winston. That second idea leaves me numb. Not comfortably numb, not Pink Floyd numb, just numb. It just feels like throwing numbers at the problem in hopes of finishing in the middle of the conference again. To me, that's useless. Try to find the next franchise guy or flame out trying and get in a better draft position in 2022. That's a very different thing from saying tank, by the way, before anybody goes there. Tank would be trying to lose. You can at least validate going forward with just Rudolph and Haskins if every available dime of free agent dollars is spent addressing the many other positions of need on the team instead of wasting them on a third mediocre quarterback candidate. In terms of the draft, I'm not wild about any of those top six prospect candidates that got so much attention at the Senior Bowl or Mississippi junior Matt Corral. But if the Steelers feel great about any of them, then they should go get them. They haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round since Roethlisberger in 2003. If they don't want to pass on a rare chance where they may get one of the top two or three quarterbacks on the board, that's understandable. What wasn't understandable to me was how few Steelers fans were interested in Rodgers or Carr. That appears to be a moot point now, though, despite all of the caterwauling that I heard from Steelers fans of, we don't want a veteran quarterback. We want a homegrown guy. Like, that friggin' matters. I don't understand that. But I heard some of that. You can see some of those comments in our recent You Mad Bro post that I put up at Trib Live. I don't think it matters if they're homegrown or not. Does it matter in Los Angeles right now that Matt Stafford spent all those years in Detroit? I don't think so. You know, there's another example. Quarterbacks move. It's 2022, not 1972. You don't draft one guy, rear him for a couple years, then put him in as the starter full-time like they did with Bradshaw and eventually win a Super Bowl in 1974 after drafting him in 1970. Wake up. It's a new era. We keep telling the Steelers that they have to get into the 21st century. Maybe how the fans root for and follow their team has to follow suit. Let's see how interested Pittsburgh fans are by December if the Steelers are still trying to slog through 2022 with Rudolph or Haskins at the helm. I bet you at that point, talking about Carr or Rodgers or Wilson won't seem so stupid then, will it? I mean, as for the AFC, if you just look at getting to the Super Bowl, the Steelers are plus 2,500 there. The only teams with longer odds in the AFC, the Jets, Jaguars, and Texans. I mean, what's that tell you? about the perception of where the Steelers are right now. And I haven't seen any divisional odds, but based on how in the conference anyway, the Bengals are at plus 800, the Broncos, excuse me, the Ravens rather, are at plus 1,100, and the Cleveland Browns are at plus 2,000, a little in front of the Steelers. That connotes to me that they are picked to, or projected to rather, finish last in the division. And you know what? I would say the same thing. Going into the 2022 NFL season, knowing what we know about the state of the Steelers' quarterback situation, by extension their offense, by extension half their team, I think the Steelers deserve to be perceived as a last-place franchise for the upcoming season unless something significant happens at the quarterback position or many other positions around the quarterback to the point that you can look at Mason Rudolph and say they've supported him to a degree where he can win nine or more games like Ben Roethlisberger did this season. I'm not ready to go there. All right, we come back. Slightly more optimistic tone to give you about the Pittsburgh Penguins as they get ready to play tonight at PPG Paints Arena. 
Sidney Crosby looking for goal number 5,000. Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network, joins us to talk about that. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, back at the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz with you, a little groggy after Ghost and Volbeat at the Pete on Monday night. Now getting set for Pens and Flyers on Tuesday night. We can only assume that Penguins captain Sidney Crosby did this on purpose, right? During the first game back from the All-Star break on February 8th, Crosby scored career goal number 499 of his career as part of a 4-2 win over the Boston Bruins. Crosby then picked up a total of three assists as the Penguins also racked up victories against the Ottawa Senators 2-0 and New Jersey 4-2 without scoring number 500 along the way. Obviously, Crosby has meticulously and intentionally masterminded this scenario to set up goal number 500 to be scored in front of a home crowd at PPG Paints Arena on Tuesday night against the hated Philadelphia Flyers, no less. A 15-24-8 version of the Flyers that has lost 15 of 17, by the way. So I stop at 500, Sid. Why not push that total to 502 with a hat trick? It certainly wouldn't be the first time Crosby has burned his team's loathed cross-state rivals. Philadelphia players have certainly enjoyed agitating him over the years. Flyers fans love to hate him, and Crosby has voiced similar opinions about them. But Crosby has tortured Philadelphia like few others during his soon-to-be Hall of Fame career. In fact, Crosby... If he scores against Philly on Tuesday, it'll be his 50th career goal against Philadelphia. That's right, 500 overall, 50 of them against the Flyers. Here are some other fun facts about how Crosby has frustrated Philadelphia for years and years. We'll start with his first goal. It came on October the 14th, 2005. That was the fifth game of his rookie season. He set up John LeClaire for a goal with three seconds left of the period. Crosby then scored at 13.08 of the second period off a feed from, wait for it, Lyle Odeline before the Penguins fell 6-5 in overtime. Now the infamous game where Darian Hatcher high-stick Crosby twice, knocking out two of his teeth, that didn't occur until the second trip to Philadelphia. Crosby scored twice that night, including the overtime winner, had an assist en route to a 3-2 victory. Crosby scored again three nights later. When the Flyers were at Mellon Arena, Philadelphia won that game, however, 6-3. Crosby's 49 goals versus the Flyers, the most that he has collected against any team. The next closest is the New York Islanders with 39. The Islanders are the team that has yielded the most points to Crosby over the years, 123, but Philadelphia is second on that list at 117, followed by the Rangers at 96. Crosby's shooting percentage against the Flyers, 18.1, the second highest mark against Eastern Conference foes. Only the Leafs have a higher percentage for which Crosby shoots against them. There are a couple Western teams, but, you know, in like a quarter of the games, a third of the games. Perhaps surprisingly here, Crosby has been in the penalty box against the Flyers less often than you would think, at least compared to some other clubs. 
He's been hit with 68 penalty minutes against the Rangers and Devils, 56 against the Panthers. Against the Flyers, Crosby total is, Crosby's total is just 44, and that's in 1,607 minutes worth of ice time, by the way. So that surprised me a little, knowing the nastiness that usually goes on between the Pens and the Flyers. That ice time total, by the way, 1,607.50. That's the most in Crosby's career against any franchise. The Devils, excuse me, the Islanders are second at 15.902. The Penguins have played Philadelphia with Crosby on the ice more often than any other franchise. 78 games, Devils are next there at 77. First Flyers goalie to allow a goal to Sidney Crosby on that night in October back in 2005 that I mentioned, Antero Nidimaki, who was allowed 11 goals to Crosby over his time in Pittsburgh. Only Henrik Lundqvist, Yaroslav Halak, and Martin Brodeur have allowed more goals to Crosby. Lundqvist is at 24, Halak 14, and Brodeur with 12. Boy, how about that total against Lundqvist, right? Crosby also has 15 goals and 36 points in 23 playoff games against the Flyers. The Pens are 3-1 and one against the Flyers in playoff series during his career. He has won the Stanley Cup since entering the league in 2005-2006. Three times the Flyers haven't won any since 1975. As a point of comparison, Troy Crosby, Sid's dad, wasn't even drafted by the Canadians until I believe like 83. So if you want to put that in perspective, put that in your cigar and smoke it, to paraphrase the great Mike Lang. Now, um, just to look at the odds for tonight, Penguins at minus one and a half on the puck line, minus 315 to win. Boy, I really do smell a Penguins 4-2 kind of victory here, maybe a 5-3 kind of win with Crosby potting an empty netter and making the Flyers stand around on the ice for a celebration with about nine seconds left just to drag out the agony a little bit, don't you? Like, this reeks of that to me. The over-under total, by the way, is set at 6 Part of me says this is going to be a very charged atmosphere. Both teams are going to be raced up to play it. The other part of me says that the Penguins are going to be a little bit tight and try to force-feed Sid. Could lead to some sloppy play. I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. Uh, also, to the tune of how it may play out for the Penguins, you know, against a bad team like Philadelphia coming home after three games on the road. You know, that one always gets thrown in the mix. First game after a long road trip made longer by the fact that they were on the road prior to the All-Star break. It's going to be a little dicey in that regard. I don't know. I, I just say have fun with it if you're a Penguin fan. Bet Penguins minus one and a half or just bet them on the puck line at minus 315. Go with the over. Uh, don't hold back on this one. It could go either direction. I wouldn't play anything all that big on this game, but I also wouldn't cheat yourself in rooting for the goals in rooting for Crosby to get 500 and in root for the Penguins against the Flyers. Sid is plus 145 to score tonight. I can't believe it's plus money. Take that. Take Sidney Crosby to score a goal. Last goal scorer is plus 1150. Boy, do I like the sound of that for, like I said, an empty netter to end the game and give Sid number 500. I'd go in either of those two categories for individual goal scoring when it comes to hockey tonight at PPG Paints Arena. With a preview, here is Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network, my partner at the Ghost Show last night, where Volbeat and Ghost were both playing at the Peterson Event Center. We'll be up on the hill from there. 
this evening watching Pens and Flyers. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. This will be my first ghost experience. How many times have you seen them before? I believe I was just figuring this out the other day because I wanted to get to the bottom of this, and I've seen them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This will be my ninth time. Wow, this will be my fourth Volbeat show, but um, nine <laughs> times for Ghost. Wow. Yeah, my first one dates back to April 15th of 2012. They were just openers for uh, Mastodon and Opeth at Stage AE, which April 15th of 2012, also famous for the elimination game against the Flyers in that dubious series that the Penguins had with them. I watched that at a bar because I wasn't doing work for road games at the time, and then I made my way down to Stage AE to see that show, saw Ghost, watched part of Opeth, and then I left because I, I didn't really care to see really them or Mastodon. I went to see Ghost, believe it or not. And um, then I've seen them in 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, twice, and then in 19. Uh, the last show was October of 19 at the Cavelli Center up in Youngstown. That was the series between the Flyers and Penguins that ended up with the opening shift of Giroux putting Crosby on his wallet and then scoring right away, right? Yes, and it also was the series in which Daniel Briere turned the whole tide in Pittsburgh. The Penguins had a lead, and he was t about 10 feet offside, if you remember. Yes. And he scored a goal, and they didn't overturn it. And then the Flyers won that game in overtime, and then it just exploded into chaos from then on. And that's also where, if you listen to certain people, like uh, I believe it was Sam Carcidi in Philly, that was the passing of the torch. Sid handed the baton to Claude Giroux that day. Uh, in terms of being the uh, the top player in the league, if I remember correctly. And I know that tweet has since been deleted, but Penguins fans have the receipts and they share it every time the Penguins tend to beat the Flyers. Will that happen again on Tuesday night? <clears throat> I think uh, there's a pretty good chance of it. Penguins are playing, you know, I don't want to say they're playing outstanding hockey right now, Tim, but they're playing pretty well. And I'm looking forward to it simply because it's the date that I circled on my calendar where Sidney Crosby and my predicting, uh, you know, being Nostradamus, I said he would get his 500th goal that night. Wait, when? So, How far out did you do that? Uh, I said it before they went on the road. I, I was talking about it during our last home game, um, and everyone was like, oh, you know, we'll have this, this. Well, first of all, I was waiting for it to happen in the six games that they had at home. But when that homestand ended and they had four games away, uh, I believe it was. I'm like, okay, when they get back to Pittsburgh for February 15th, they will score the uh, – Sid will have his 500th goal that night. And I knew there were four games in between, but I just kind of thought that it, it lined up properly for that to happen. It will also be, if he does it, Sid's 50th career goal yep. against the Philadelphia Flyers. It will be Yarmir Yager's 50th birthday. And um, there was some other – weird distinction like that uh, in terms of having it happen against Philly. But I'm just all in on home ice, Philadelphia Flyers, dagger to the heart of the cross-state rival. Uh, I think that would be a pretty fun way for him to get it. And uh, not not all that long ago, I think I tweeted you about this, I was at the Mellon Arena watching Mario score his 600th into an empty net roughly 25 years ago. In 10, it was 25 years and 10 days ago. He did it on February 4th of 97. So Let's see Sid get his 500th on Tuesday night. That was against the Canucks, right? Yes. I believe Kirk McLean played the game, and then he was pulled, and Mario scored it to the ENG. Yeah, I just did a whole thing about uh, Mario and Sid for the Trib. Uh, their landmark goals, 100, 200, 300, 400, and 500. In the case of Mario, 600. And 
I was stunned to go back in time and see that Mario scored his 300th mess, Mets on an empty net overtime goal. How often, <laughs> did do, you, how often do you see that? <laughs> Very infrequently, unless it was a situation where um, I, I'm trying to think of the dynamic. Was it somebody I, I who can give it to a you. victory? Yes, I can give it to you exactly if you want. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm curious because I, I remember it, but I don't remember it. I don't remember the specifics. So here's how it went down for Mario and the Pens. They were playing in Philadelphia, and the Flyers were trying to avoid playing the Capitals who were going to win the division. A tie did them no good. The Penguins, I guess, were locked into whatever spot they were going to have, and the hope from the Flyers was to beat the Penguins in overtime of this game so they could play the Penguins in the best-of-seven series and avoid the Caps. So they pulled their goaltender in overtime, and as a result, they chased the win. Mario got the empty netter. It was his 300th, his second of the game, and that meant that the Flyers had to play the Caps, but I guess they eliminated them anyway. Because was it this is nineteen eighty nine? That was the year yes. that the Penguins ended up losing to the Flyers in the conference finals anyway, right? Yeah, in the second round, wasn't it? Because yes. they, they they beat the Rangers, uh they swept the Rangers with Guy Lafleur on board. And then uh, that was one of my first times getting to go to a Penguins playoff game in nineteen eighty nine. My dad somehow scored tickets. Uh, and we went to see the the two home games in that series. So that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, yeah, the Penguins looked like they would have the Flyers on the ropes. And unfortunately, Ken Reggett, of mm-hmm. all people, beat them in Game 7. But, yeah, I remember that. And then I think they went on to play in the in the conference finals. So, yeah, that was a fun one. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, though, when you're going through your, your history of this, Mario got 500 against Tommy Soderstrom, I believe, on That's Long right. Island. That's yeah, right. So. <laughs> yeah, a 7-5 kind of, uh... victory from Tomas Sandstrom and the great Dmitry Mironov. <laughs> uh, goal 600, February the 4th, 1997. A third-period empty net goal at Mellon Arena against the Canucks as part of a 6-4 win. Francis and Yager had the assists. Yes. The 300th goal uh, came on the 2nd of April in 1989, uh, I told you the circumstances. Loney got the assist. <laughs> the great thing about this Mets is if you go back and look, because this is this is indicative of what Mario Lemieux did in 1988-1989. He got gold 200 on March 1st, 1988 against Minnesota. He got gold 300 on April 2nd, 1989. <laughs> so that was a hundred goals in thirteen calendar months. That's uh, that's unbelievable, and that was just Mario, right? I mean, that's just how he would do it. And to put that in perspective, uh, Sidney Crosby got his four hundredth back in twenty eighteen, and he's just looking for five hundred now. I realize there's been a lot of things that have happened since, but the the to show the greatness of a goal scorer like Mario Lemieux, and this is not belittling Sidney Crosby by any means, but. The fact that it's essentially four years later and we're looking at 500 tells you all you need to know about how good Mario was back then. Well, we're talking some of the same topics we brought up with uh, Seth Rorba at the end of last week, but I'll throw this one at you too since I talked about it with Seth some in that context. So, Sid, if you were to do, if you were to extrapolate the math, and this was part of the exercise that I did for the trip, he's totaled 117 goals in 292 regular season games. So that's 0.4 goals per game. 
Um, and that is since the Penguins won their last cup. Okay, so mm-hmm. 292 games since the last cup win, regular season I'm talking about, 117 goals, 0.4 goals per game. So that's a rate, if you extrapolate that, of 32.9 goals per 82-game regular season. So at that pace, we're talking about roughly six more seasons for an 80, you know, this is assuming we go through 82 games and who knows these days, right? But yeah, no, exactly. if we're talking about 82 game regular seasons, we're talking about six more for Crosby to get the next 192 that would be needed to surpass Lemieux's team record of 690, which means he's playing until he's 40 years old. Do you think he does that? <laughs> I do think Sid will play until he's 40 years old, health permitting, and, and knock on wood, he has been fairly healthy in terms of the things that can end your career anyways. So I, I do have uh, a lot of – I envision him playing, you know, into the gray beard years of his uh, hockey life. So will he continue to produce at a level to be able to do that? I don't know. Uh, it's all going to depend on if he has some hot streaks. And, he, and that's the one thing that Sid has become in recent years. He'll go through these these weeks where he is absolutely red hot as a goal scorer, Tim, and he'll rip off, you know, 10 goals in like 15 games. And then he'll go 10 goals with just one or 10 games with one goal or something, because people even kind of forget when he was going for 400. I believe it took two goals in the game in which he did it, but he went 10 games without a goal before that. So it's it's interesting to see he has become a bit of a streaky goal scorer at this point in his career. And I really, this is where I, I, I feel like injury really bit him, though. If you go back to when he was hitting his stride as a goal scorer, 51 goals in the 9-10 season, uh, and, and right then you're thinking, okay, Sid has rounded the corner here. Yes, he was always a 30-plus goal man up until that point, but he, he looked like he was going to become a lethal goal scorer, and then he got his injury the next year. He had 32 goals in 41 games in the 10-11 season, and had he not been derailed the way that he was, who knows what he would have been able to accomplish in terms of the goal scoring. He's still been really effective. I'm not taking anything away. He's been over 30 goals a number of times. He had 44 back in the 16-17 season. But if he if he continued at that click through that period of time when he missed all those games with the concussion, Tim, he probably would have hit 500. He'd probably push, be pushing towards 600 by now. But that obviously wasn't in the cards for him. Sidney Crosby, 24 goals against Henrik Lundqvist, by far the most goals scored against any goalie that he has seen. He has, though, Mets, 10 goals against 13 different goalies in his career. All right? (laughs) So, trivia question. I'm putting you on the spot. Take a stab. Yes. Of those 13 goaltenders that have yielded at least 10 goals to Crosby, which one was actually a Penguins teammate of his for a short, short time? Ooh, okay. Um, I'll give you a about, hint. I, I was going to say, my, my two guesses would be Grice or Volkun. Volkun. <laughs> As my callers to the X Morning Show always used to refer to him, Tomas Volkun. <laughs> hey, the former uh, Wheeling Thunderbird. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Kerry Price also on that list. Ironically, is Holpe on the list? Yeah, Holpe is on the list. He 10 goals. Uh, Yaroslav Halak was second at 14 goals. Brodeur was third at 12 goals. 
Man, I can't believe he's gotten 14 against Halak. He could have stoned me with that one. I never would have guessed that with the way he performed against the no. Penguins at times over the years. There's got to be a Flyers goalie on the list, right? Uh, let's see here. I just lost it. Now i got to find it again. Uh, there it is. So, um, Brian Elliott played for the Flyers for a while, right? Yeah, he probably got most of the goals against him as a uh, as a Flyer, I would imagine. Nidimaki was a Flyer for a while, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, Nidimaki had the uh, dubious distinction of playing, I think, some games for them the year that the Penguins beat them, what, eight times in one season? Maybe that's where it came from. Was Ryan, Ryan Miller was never a Flyer, was he? No, uh, I think that he... He was just a Sabre and a Blue and then a Duck, okay. if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so he probably did that all as he, with he, when he was with the Sabres, including the Winter Classics. It, uh, no, that was, a, that was just a shootout goal, but I think he scored the first goal of the game early in that game against him, too. Was Might Andre Pavlich ever a Philadelphia Flyer? Uh, who did he play for? I don't... The Lightning for a while, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. No, and he was also a Winnipeg Jet goaltender. Okay. So, um, yeah, and the Penguins used to light the Jets up specifically. It seemed like Winnipeg would play here early uh, afternoon games in the on the weekends, he, you know, Saturdays or Sundays, and it just seemed like Geno feasted on them and Sidney Crosby would feast on them in those Sunday afternoon matinees against the Winnipeg Jets. He was Pavlich. a Ranger, too, for he, a while. He, he also played for the um, – prior to the becoming the Jets, he was also a draft pick and played a lot for the Atlanta Thrashers, so that probably sums that up, too. So what did you make of the Penguins in their three games since the All-Star break? Um, I, I would say that I was, I've was i been fine with the way they've been playing. There's been some moments where they're not quite as structured still the way you want them to be. But I was really impressed with Tristan Jari since he got back from the All-Star game. I think he's really maintained his level. And I thought it was pretty curious and entertaining to hear him say, Tim, that the work he got at the All-Star game kept him sharp. Uh, and kept him on top of his game, whereas some of the other guys, you know, the Penguins always, and this is why I wasn't shocked that they fell into a hole early against the Boston Bruins, they always come off of any break. If you think about years when they've had bye weeks, they always come back from the bye week and look like a different team. It's like they lose their momentum. They uh, just, they have cement legs. They're not looking so hot. And against the Bruins in the first period of that hockey game, they just were struggling a bit. But the fact that they roared back and pulled off a 4-2 victory against that team with all the crazy crap that happened in that one, I was pretty impressed by it. Now, Ottawa, when they went into that game, I think it was very impressive to see the performance they were able to get from uh, DeSmith uh, pitching that shutout. Uh, that was a very big rounding the corner moment for him. Penguins did not have to face Josh Norris or Drake Batherson in that one. But the Senators, you know, they, they gave them everything that they could handle. But that was an impressive victory for me. And then I just liked it th the way the Penguins took control late against the Jer the Jersey Devils on Sunday and, and pulled off that victory because that one felt like it could have gone the other way early in that one. It was looking every bit like a Penguins-Devils type of hockey game. And I never – I usually just throw those games out the window because for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if it's the year 2000 and a very good defensive Jersey team or if it's right now with this nondescript group that they have I know Jack Hughes is there but they they still are not where they anticipate being hopefully in the near future for them but they just always bring out this mucking and grinding mentality against the Penguins and make life very difficult in the middle of the ice for the Pens but they found a way to, to pull off a victory so all of that said uh, I was pretty impressed with the way they've come out of the all-star break three wins in a row and 
uh, at least they have a, a, a um, opponent on the schedule now for the 15th on uh, February, the day after our ghost show here. Uh, it's one that I feel like will get their juices going. Philly always does that. It's on home ice. You got the whole Sid factor. So I anticipate them keeping it rolling against the Flyers. There were three times where I thought Sid was going to score 500 against the Devils. I'm with you. Uh, he had that backhand shot. the one that comes to mind right away. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a beautiful look. He wasn't able to bury. Um, he hit a he hit a post against Boston too as a crossbar. Uh, after I'm, I'm pretty sure I forget it was in the third period of that game. I thought maybe he was going to get it there. Uh, there's just been moments in these last couple of games where you're feeling like okay, Sid's breaking through, and he just has not been able to do so. And it's just because he wants to save it for the for the cross state hate. I think. When they build the Sid statue, what position will he be in? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was talking with Phil Bork about this in an intermission report the other night because somebody said, hey, we got the Mario statue beautifully splitting the D. Uh, I'm still kind of mesmerized that a lot of focus went on the um, two other guys in the, <laughs> in the statue. You would have hoped they would have put more focus on Mario. But I think Sid, it would be perfect, Tim. I know I mentioned last week when we talked about you know, what I think of when, when it comes to him scoring goals. And I said, those tips by the net, I, in hindsight, I think it would be awesome to have Sid kind of letting a shot go down on the one knee. He's just one timed it. And he's kind of in that position to stick out. Uh, I think that would be awesome. So Sid kind of unleashing a one timer down on that one knee, scoring a big goal uh, with the stick kind of out in front of him, just finishing off the shot and the follow through. I'm with you there. Or, you know, the backhand, you know, maybe get him on a backhand finish. The some, one-handed backhand? Perhaps. Or any backhand. Or, or just him following through on a backhand goal. It's so good. Yeah. That would be one that I could think of. Or him hoisting a cup because winning is so much a part of his reputation. Uh, yeah. I would accept that for sure. Could Another you do one, this, Tim? Could you, could you have him holding up the cup with his gold medals hanging on his neck as well? I know it's not NHL related, but he still did it. <laughs> he did it. I don't know if that would go over in an American city. <laughs> I don't think that would go over big outside of PPG Paints Arena. But true, you know, I I could also see, and and this is something I've advanced before on the air. We've talked about it. I've never put it in print. Maybe I will. I could see him not wanting to have his own statue and wanting it to be him, Latang, Flurry, and Malkin. Like have it have the foursome of them together, like surrounding Flurry after a win, and all dapping him on the helmet. Now that would be a, a very sentimental, uh, heartstring tugging statue. I think that would be cool, and it would be on par with you know if you're up in uh, if you've been up at the arena in Buffalo and they have the the three three statues of the flying Frenchmen there, you know their big line uh, out front there. I think that would be really cool if like maybe down at the People's Gate. On fifth, you have that that little uh, four players or whatever, just kind of there, uh, all bronzed up and ready to go. I think that's a really cool idea that uh, all those guys in in Penguins lore. I mean, yeah, they're not all Sidney Crosby, but that that foursome has really been the focal point or the face of a very successful period of time in Pittsburgh history. And I know that Flurry's since moved on. But really, I mean, he was here for all three of the cups that they won as a group. So, yeah, I, I like it. I think that's a great idea. Might have to throw Kunitz in there, too, I guess, huh? Because he was the other one that got three. Yeah, um, that would be pretty cool to do. I mean, technically, Dupuy did, even though he the last one he didn't get to play because he, he was already out, but they let him come out and hoist the cup. 
Um, or was that only 16? Am I con- am I confusing that? I thought he yeah, was still there. I don't there think for he 17. was there for 17. Was he? He was just hanging around. You know what? He was just hanging around. I think it was in the year 16 when he had the heart uh, or the the clot that held him out. And I don't think he played in 17. I think you're right. And it's just easy to keep including him because he was around that year. You know what I mean? They kept trying to bring him back. And he's one of the only guys. And did you notice this? It seems like everybody, when they get to Pittsburgh, they fall in love with it. And I'm not saying he did it, but guys tend to settle here. I mean, even Jeff Carter is like, yeah, I'm glad to sign another contract and stay there now. Duper's like one of the few that they tried to offer a job to and tried to get him involved. And he's kind of vanished. He's, he's not been back now for a number of years. And when you see him, it's on video and he just didn't really embrace um, leaving Canada. It seems like he wanted to stay up there. He did, he did not make that move. See, to I thought he did for, for a while. Maybe I'm just sort of melting. I think he that. did up until, yeah, up until, cause he started do, doing some French broadcasting right after his career ended. Mm-hmm. And he just, that, like they wanted to have him involved in the organization somehow. And I was completely sold on that thinking it would happen. And it just, it never really materialized. Why do you think the flyers are as bad as they are right now? Like what, what is the big collective as to what has made them as bad as they are? That's a million dollar question. I don't, you know, what's funny. It's hard for us to answer Tim because their management can't even answer it. Did you see any of the press conference a couple weeks ago where Chuck Fletcher was up yeah. there with the one man from the ownership group? That was a very uncomfortable and, and, and painful press conference where the press was actually asking that that man, well, why are you so sure that uh, Chuck Fletcher's your guy? And Chuck's just sitting there looking all pained in the face. Um, it, it was I, I think at the end of this, it really comes down to they built their blue line in such a way that it's not quite as mobile as they wanted it to be. Um, Ryan Ellis was supposed to come in and be more of a Matt Niskanen type for them and be that offensive guy and, and kind of help the youngsters along. And he's played something like three games this year. He couldn't stay healthy. So he's out. And so you're in a spot where you're leaning very heavily on Provorov who, yes, he is a, a number one, number two type defenseman in this league, but I think they've asked him to do a little bit more than he's capable of. Uh, some of their other young defensemen have not developed the way that they wanted. And then you stir in Erasmus Ristolainen, who is known as being this guy uh, that can bring a physical presence and be this badass out there. Well, he's not he's not capable of I think they look at him as maybe a top three defenseman in this league. And he's probably a bottom three defenseman at this point of his career. So he's that was kind of something that's not working out so well. Couturier's out hurt. You have some other guys in and out of the lineup nonstop. Joel Farabee's only played 33 games. He was supposed to take a huge step forward this year. Didn't really happen. I know Claude Giroux's having a fairly good year, 36 points in 44 games. But he's now being talked about as a trade chip. So I think it's just kind of the the bottom's falling out. They're trying to look at some young players. Kevin Hayes hasn't played. We all know that big, stupid contract they gave him. He's a guy that was supposed to be a number one, number two center. He's not been around much. So I I think when you put that all together and then stir in the fact that Carter Hart has again started to regress, you just have a recipe for disaster. And I will be surprised to see them not make some really big wholesale changes, you know, before the trade deadline, but specifically into the offseason. I think that they will be moving some parts out and trying to focus a little bit more on rebuilding again, which is a shame because I thought that they kind of did that when you brought in Konechny and Farabee and Travis Sanheim and some of these other young players. 
And they've already gotten to the point where they've just started ripping Ron Hextall and blaming him for all of their problems, which I think is a bit absurd because he's already been out of their front office for what, pushing five seasons now, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I know he drafted some of those guys, but what have he done in the interim? I haven't seen a whole lot happen. So they're just trying to pass the buck. Bobby Clark is at the forefront of doing that, uh, ripping on his former teammate, essentially, and, and Ron Hextall. And I don't know that I agree with all of those criticisms being thrown at him. Mets, thanks. We'll see you at the Pete. Looking forward to the show. Looking forward to the broadcast for Pens and Flyers. And looking forward to Sid's 500th, which uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want it to be an empty netter to seal the game, and then the hats come out, and like all the Flyers have to stick around for nine more seconds of hockey or something like that. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I'd also like to see him do it within like the first two minutes, and then end up with a hat trick. That I would like as well, and have him end the night at 5:02. What do you think? I think that would be tremendous, Tim. And I, you know, I mean, the fact that he scored two to get 400, uh, why not score three to put yourself a couple ahead of 500? So I, I, I feel like it's just, it's been so close. I feel like he's hit those posts. He's right there. So what better way to have it done than getting one right off the hop? And I should mention, you'll hear Bob Pompiani, if I'm not mistaken, do the announcement in the building. He'll get that chance to call Sid's 500th goal over the, PA speaker because Ryan Mill, I think he must've had a trip scheduled. Uh, he seems according to his social media, he's in Scotland. And I heard that Bob Pompiani will be filling in. So that would be uh, sad for mill, but good for pomps. So long as pomp doesn't dance after the goal on TikTok. <laughs> That's the only I thing I care about. Just him not dancing anymore. You can, you can all but bank on it finding its way to TikTok. Bob, from what I understand is a big fan. All right, Mets, see you at the show. Sounds good, my friend. I'm looking forward to it. Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Thanks to Brian Metzer. Hey, one more Sidney Crosby bet for you. He's plus 3,500 to get a hat trick tonight, plus 750 for multiple goals. Just do it. It's so fitting, isn't it? Just do it. I'd play everything on Sid, play everything on the pins, play everything on the over, play it small, spread it around, have a blast with it, try to hit a home run tonight as Crosby takes on the Flyers and looks for 5,000. All right, uh, we will be back later in the week of the Pittsburgh CityCast. I'll be on DBE in the morning, then on the call for Duquesne and George Washington at night. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.